Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Pete Quinones. Pete is the host of, of course, the Pete Quinones Show, available on all top podcasting platforms. Really enjoyed today's conversation. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. We are going to head to the Louisville Combat Academy Roadcaster line, where I am joined once again by Pete Quinones. Pete, how are you today? I'm doing great, Kelly. What's going on? Not much. I really appreciate you coming back on the show, Pete. You are a very intriguing figure uh, in the world of hmm, mm-hmm. uh, the the political movement, I guess the the I guess you could say the post libertarian uh, movement. I have some very uh, basic one hundred and one type questions that I'm sure you are very well equipped to handle. But for starters, sure. you host the Pete Quinones show, formerly called Free Man Behind the Wall. Um, I've been listening to it a lot lately, and I really. Um, I love it. You know, you do some different things, almost, I don't want to say random, but I mean, a couple of the episodes lately, you've been focusing on some, um, you know, World War II type history, some different things that are very important to the, the current day. So I really do appreciate your, your podcast and, and I like how it covers very different types of things. What would your description of the Pete Quinones show be? Something that's just evolved over five years. It'll be five years in July. I think it's actually July 7th or 8th was the first episode I dropped in 2017. And you know, it started out with just me talking, and then I got into interviews for a long time. Um, I still am interview heavy. I, I still do interviews, but the interviews were more in the libertarian realm, talking to people within libertarianism. And then once COVID started, um, I really started to question like libertarian theory and exactly how it, how it would work in the real world, especially when you have a tyrannical government that's just shutting people down and everything like that. So I started asking questions and 
quickly became um, persona non grata to a lot of libertarians because they were like, well, it's a theory. It's, I'm like, well, if it's a theory, I mean, that means it hasn't been proven yet. It can't, it hasn't been proven that it, that it can work. And I'm like, and after, you know, March, February of 2020 through today with everything we've seen, I just don't see how libertarianism has an answer for all this. Now, some people will say, well, you just have to be non-aggressive. The only thing that's ever defeated totalitarianism was non-aggression. Um, I'm like, I don't know. I, I seem to remember wars. I don't think soldiers are non-aggressive. It doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Um, so yeah, I just, once I got into, once we got into COVID world, I started interviewing people who I, at first I tried to concentrate on people who used to be libertarians and left libertarianism because long before COVID they had seen that there was no real answer for a lot of things. And then, you know, I just down, down the way, down the way. And I stopped six, about six months ago, almost a year ago, calling myself a libertarian. Um, and now, I mean, it's like people ask me and it's like, I mean, I'm a right winger, I guess. And I, I guess the one, there's a group of content creators and people online who call themselves the dissident, right? I probably am closer to what is known as the dissident right right now. Okay. I do appreciate that you're not entirely shying away from labels. So you, if you had to classify yourself as of 2022, you would say closest to the dissident right. Uh, could you help me to define what is the dissident right? Uh, the dissident right is, somebody, is a group that understands that the people who call themselves right wing in this country, and mostly politicians, um, they are not. Um, they are not right wing. They are part of the regime. They will do anything to keep this regime going. They are not on our side. Uh, we see there may be a couple politicians out there that we could claim because they seem to be doing things that we like. You know, we, we don't 100%, I, I, well, I'm not going to say we, I don't 100% claim any politicians. I like a lot of what DeSantis is doing in Florida. I like a lot of what comes out of the mouth of Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, people like that, people who are just real bomb throwers. Anthony Sabatini is a state senator in, in Florida who's running for Congress. Um, these are people who understand that the Republican Party is just as big an enemy as the Democrats. Um, now, when I say that, people are like, well, you, what about the transgender thing? Well, that's culture. And it's culture using politics and politics using culture. So, um, yeah, I would say that I'm, that's probably the biggest thing that I'm on right now is the, basically the attack on children and how, you know, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as a male kindergarten teacher, much less a, much less a gay male kindergarten teacher who wants to tell kindergartners about what he and his boyfriend or husband did on the weekends. And yeah, it seems like, yeah, it seems like when those, when those crazy Christians all the way back to the um, moral majority during the Reagan era, were talking about how it's a slippery slope and everything seems that that slope was really slippery and it's led us to, I mean, tr transgender three-year-olds. 
want to pump chemicals into the body of a three-year-old because, I mean, you, you won't let a three-year-old go outside and play alone, but somehow they can decide what gender they are. I mean, when I was three years old, I wanted to be a freaking fighter plane. So what, what, this is the kind of war that we've seen in the past that destroys cultures and destroys civilizations and destroys countries. And that's um, pretty much what I've come to see in the last 27, 28 months, that it's actually a war being waged upon the people and they're doing it through the children. You described yourself as, uh, if you had to be a part of any group, it'd probably be what's called the dissident right. Um, could you help my listeners and myself to understand, is there such thing in your opinion as the alt-right today? And if so, what's the difference between the alt-right and the dissident right? I think the alt-right probably concentrated, it was a borders, um, a lot of border talk um, a lot of race talk. I think the dissident right is that is can have elements of border talk, can have elements of race talk, but it's more the way I see it is the way I'm looking at things is this cannot be changed. The government cannot be changed. Maybe at the very most local level, you can have some influence, you can change some things for the good, and you can actually win some liberty. But the federal government. It has to be gone. It has to be gone. It has to, it, something that needs to start over. And at this point, the way I look at it is my role is to do my best to improve myself, improve my health, improve my wealth, improve my focus, and keep the message going of liberty, of true liberty in the sense of, you know, I don't even look at the founding as liberty. I look at like, before that responsibility, people who took responsibility for their own lives and did their own thing. And another thing, probably I, I honestly believe that the only way that this government, anything changes in the United States on the federal level is if a strong man, a Caesar or somebody rises up and decides to go to war with the elites because the elites control everything in this country. Elites have always controlled everything. If you go back through any civilization, you will see that elites have always controlled it. You can read uh, Vilfredo Pareto on that, most famously known for the Pareto Principle 80-20. Well, he wrote on the, the, the rise and fall of the elites. Um, Gitana Mosca talks about the elites. A lot of people in the past have talked about the elites. They, they're always with us. And it's very rare that somebody actually destroys the elites in their country, like, like a leader takes over and says, no, the elites have no power here. And it's happened very recently that, that a country, that a leader of a country actually basically put the elites under his heel. And right now he's being called Adolf Hitler, the return of Adolf Hitler, and things like that. Your Twitter profile picture says, and I assume there's a degree of satire here, of course, but it's uh, uh, you wearing a red hat, and it says 2024 Trump Kaczynski. What is the, what is the thought process behind that? Are, are you a fan of, of Ted Kaczynski? 
I'm very much a fan of Ted Kaczynski. I'm not a, I'm not the biggest fan of Donald Trump. I like what he did. I like what he represented. Um, I think that his election um, meant more than he did. That people were willing to vote for him meant more than than he did because he could have been that great man who rose up and destroyed the government. He said he was going to drain the swamp, but no, he didn't do it. And the way you knew he wasn't going to do it is he didn't give up his businesses. He kept his businesses. He didn't burn his ships. He didn't say, this is where I make my stand. If they kill me, they kill me. He was a, a puss. I mean, he was, yeah, that's all I can say. Um, the Kaczynski thing is, um, I'm a big fan of Ted Kaczynski. His man, the Unabomber Manifesto is, if no one's ever read it, they have this idea that it is a bunch of ramblings about how we need to save the trees and everything like that. That is not what the manifesto is about. It's about the fact that industrial society, the fact that we have things so easy nowadays that people don't have to work for their, that people don't have to hunt for their food, that people don't have to actually get out and work with their hands, that everything is provided for them, that industrial society has weakened humanity to the point where prescription, you know, half, over half the people are on prescription drugs because they, they're depressed. And it's like, People didn't have time for depression 200 years ago. So in reading Ted Kaczynski, not only is it great, but he also, in the very beginning of the manifesto, does an absolute takedown of the left. And he basically destroys them and they're all their describes why they're so politically motivated because they are the emptiest of the empty vessels that they need to fill it with surrogate activities is the word he uses. So I'm a big fan of Ted Kaczynski. The hat happened because somebody who hates me, you know, one of my haters um, calls me a Republican. And so he came up with, because I had done, I did a six episode reading on my podcast all the way through Ted Kaczynski's manifesto. So when it came time for him, he was drawing cartoons to make fun of me. And he drew me with a hat that said, Trump Kaczynski 2024 on it. Like he thought that was going to be an own or something. Well, my friend top lobster on Twitter who has a store like immediately, like, you know, somebody made the comment, um, that should be a hat and top lobster in five minutes said, there you go right there. And we made that hat. And you know, it's one of those things that if people are going to, if people are going to accuse you of being something, lean into it, just adopt it. It takes all their power away. You know, if people want to call you a fascist, okay, I'm a fascist. What's next? Where's the conversation go from here? It just that's how that that's how the hat came about. But um, I love that hat, and I also do um, honor a lot of what Ted Kaczynski wrote. I mean, it wasn't 100% original. He borrowed from people like Jacques Ellul, but um, he put it together in a very nice way and made it very American. So, um, yeah, I think that that should be required reading for everybody. I, I believe it. I would, if I had control of the schools in this country, kids would be reading, um, the Unabomber's manifesto, industrial society in its future in the eighth or ninth grade. I admittedly have not read his manifesto. It sounds like I should, or at least listen to your six episode reading of it on your podcast. Um, but my wife and I did recently watch Unabomber in his own words. I assume That's you've seen one. it. It's on Netflix. I've seen it three times. Yeah, I've watched it three times. 
Okay. They're very fascinating. What are your thoughts on on um, that documentary? And what do you think of Ted's brother? Well, I mean, the documentary was great. I thought it did a, I, I, I thought it was very fair. It was very fair to him. You know, as somebody who killed, you know, six people and everything like that. I don't, I don't qualify. I'm, I'm past qualifying things. Okay. You know, I can talk about Adolf Hitler and how the, you know, how he brought the Weimar, you know, how he brought the, the Weimar Republic out of their, the worst stage in their history, Prussia's worst stage in their history into the 1930s where they're thriving without making apologies because that's for weak people. And that's what the people in charge want you to do. They want you to make apology. They want you to constantly be on your back foot going, Oh, okay. I'm going to talk about this person now, but just let you know, they're the most evil person alive. You know, in history, they're the most evil. No, I'm not going to do that. Screw you. Um, but Kaczynski, um, you know, I, I don't need to talk about that. I don't need to apologize for what he did. He did what he did. He paid the price for what he did. And fuck morality. Um, but his brother, I can understand why his brother did what he did. You know, his brother looked at it and he thought it was immoral. You know, it, it was immoral what he was doing. And, you know, he wanted to stop the killing. And, you know, in the same situation, you know, I don't know what I would do because to me, family is everything. And I know they're from a Polish family and Polish family is very tight too. But I think that the, um, I don't have a problem with what his brother did. I mean, he felt like that's, he felt like that's what he had to do. And plus the, the bombings and everything, Ted wasn't accomplishing anything with those. So, um, you know, I mean, it makes it sound like I would, I'm making excuses as, as if it actually was accomplishing something. But, you know, I mean, his targets, you know, if he felt like he was in a war, if he felt like the world was going to come to an end, like Eric Rudolph, Eric Rudolph actually felt like abortion was murder. So he bombed abortion clinics. Not saying what he did was right, but I'm saying that, you know, he, if you consider some, someone to be a mass murderer, you, you might want to stop them. And, um, you know, so Ted just, I don't know what Ted's whole purpose was of his targeted bombings. I mean, it seemed some of them seem to be in the range of what he talks about in the manifesto. But um, you know, I also there's also pretty good evidence that that Ted was a subject of MK Ultra experiments when he was at Harvard. And if that's true, then other things you know there that leaves the door open to other things as well. I was actually going to ask you about that. It says during his first year at Harvard, I'm reading his Wikipedia, but the documentary dives into this a little bit. His first year at Harvard, which I think, keep in mind, I believe he enrolled at Harvard when he was like 16 years old. So maybe maybe he was 16 or 17 yeah, years as old. A math, okay. As a math major. Wow. Um, but he, <laughs> he was involved in those studies. How much do you think those very... Um, intense, and I guess you could say degrading. It would have his professor, I forget the guy's name, just really insulting Ted, and he just had to take it. And that's a 16 or 17-year-old kid, and it was very intense um, degradation-type studies that he went through. How much do you think those played into him ending up uh, taking a path of violence? Well, if he's 16 or 17, they say that the brain doesn't fully develop until he's 20, until you're 25. So if, 
you're also if you're going through that that kind of that affects you in certain ways and it can affect people in different ways. But there is also evidence out there that a lot of the MK Ultra was uh, experiments were supplemented with drugs. Um, LSD was probably the most popular one, but by the time Ted was in Harvard, they were adding in other things that I can't remember exactly what they were right now. So if he's actually getting injected with anything and that's causing, you know, the hormones and chemicals and also, and then he's suffering abuse or, you know, basically terrorism, then it could possibly change his, um, his, his brain chemistry forever. And it could have, it could have created what, you know, there is that conspiracy theory out there that they basically created him to do this, that they wanted him to go and do things like this, that they planted this inside of him and everything. There's no evidence for that, but the, um, but we know that like as a child before the brain forms, um, before the brain is fully formed at 25, 26, that any kind of trauma can be lasting. And it seems that it can change the body chemistry. Now, there are some things that I've read recently, like MDMA. There's MDMA research that I've heard that can reset the brain. Um, they've been doing that with people who have PTSD, things like that. So there does seem to be some hope with, with things like that. But um, in Ted's case, it definitely looks like he was... Um, <laughs> he was made to be the way he is not on, you know, maybe not on purpose to, you know, do the things he did. But I think a lot of people, when they really start diving into that, they're like, Oh, so that's why he did what he did. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, Pete, I think a, a large part of your identity is you take pride in Thinking what you think and not sugarcoating anything. You were really articulating that earlier. If you're going to talk about Ted Kaczynski, you don't feel you need to preface your statement with saying, now, don't get me wrong, he was very evil and I condemn everything he did, but, so you don't feel the need for that. Um, You you also said- Most of the people who call call him evil, a lot of them are atheists. So, I mean, what is he? what does evil even mean if you're an atheist? I mean, don't, don't bring, don't bring, you know, moral language to me if you don't have a basis in it. So interesting. Okay. Um, but also earlier you said if someone were to call you a fascist, you can just say, you know, okay, I'm a fascist and you almost take the power away from them. Uh, anytime a conversation comes up and it involves someone identifying as being on the right, I am curious, um, and not that there's a correct answer or a wrong answer or anything like that to this, but during World War II, who do you think was more evil, the uh, uh, Soviets, the, the communists, or the Germans, the, the, the Nazis? The United States. Okay. Is there- because the United States, the, the, the United States decided to side with the communists, side with Stalin, who had already killed 10 million of his own people over, you know, somebody over somebody who Hitler, who had been begging for, for the West to be a part of the West. He thought England was his greatest ally. He thought England, that, that England could, they could have an unconditional treaty. 
But what most people don't realize is the reason why Nazi Germany, Hitler's Germany, invaded the Soviet Union is because the Soviet Union was a threat since 1920. After the Treaty of Versailles, which weakened Germany and made Germany into just basically a hell, a hellscape, the um, Soviets were coming over the border. They were trying to take over Germany. The communists had, were infesting the whole peninsula of Europe. 1936, you have the Spanish, the Spanish Civil War, which is basically the communists, you know, the communists rising up to take Spain. Um, you had communists in every country trying to take over. And, you know, right from 1920, 1921, there were Germans, you know, World War I German veterans fighting communists in the street. They were trying to take over the country. And you know, at, at a time when the central bank is crashing their currency, where there's, where things are so bad that, that male, male, female, and child prostitution is just rampant all over the streets. And porn is being poured into the country. Um, transgenderism is being introduced into the country. Does all this sound familiar? I hope not. My God. Oh, no, it is. I, I know. Apparently it is. I mean, that's not... There, there's no uh, oh, oh, question. Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. We're in the Weimar stage right now in the United States. We're in the Weimar stage. I saw a, a, a video on Twitter of apparently a transvestite was dancing for some kids. And a couple of the parents followed them out and, you know, were going after them and, you know, telling them exactly what they thought of them. You know, what thought this transvestite and its crew, what they thought of them. And all I could think is, all right, they're just yelling at him now. If this keeps up, what, what are they going to be doing to him in three to six months? The United States is on a very dangerous path right now, if you know your history. I actually think the next age that we're going to be entering into is an age of authoritarianism. I think people should be ready for that. Because the left, this far left, is inspiring everything. They're inspiring government. They're inspiring power. They're in the schools. They have the schools. They have the press. They have the corporations. You know, think about it. I mean, you have corporations during Christmas use happy holidays because they don't want the well, you know, not everybody celebrates Christmas, but during June, oh, it's Pride Month because I assume everybody celebrates gay pride. Where are we at? Where are we going? If people do not decide, if people don't stop this, if people don't demand that all this is stopped, the United States is not going to be a very pretty place. I mean, there are going to be places, you know, I live in, I moved to a small town. A lot of people have moved to small towns in the last couple of years to get away from a lot of this craziness, especially the COVID craziness. And then after the 2020 summer of love or what some people call the summer of George and, you know, but the cities, places like that, where are they headed? I mean, you know, it wasn't Heidelberg 
in the Weimar Republic that had all the debauchery. It was Berlin. It was Munich. It was Hamburg. What's that going to be like 10, 20 years from now? People better be ready because history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. And anyone who studies, like, go study Prussia from 1820, 1810, 1820 to 1920, and then study the United States from, like, 1913 to now. Same progression. And now we're entering into the Weimar stage Good luck. The the woke stuff has taken some very interesting turns. In my opinion, the left influencing our culture so much to where you have to be conscious of what uh, you know gender pronouns you're using and all that bullshit. It ended up with Trump being elected as president. In my opinion, in in twenty you know twenty sixteen. I think that led to the country being like, okay, that's what you want. Well, fuck you. We're going to elect a guy that you say is a complete bigot. Also, Netflix recently came out, and you, I'm sure you saw it, but they said to their employees, if you have a problem with something that we are uh, broadcasting on Netflix and it offends your sensibilities, then cool, you can quit. So although our culture is trending in such a weird direction with all the crazy-ass woke stuff, is there a hint of reason for optimism? Um, there's always, there's always room for optimism, but it has to come from the people. I mean, the, we, there's no politician you know, outside of maybe DeSantis. You know, Abbott in Texas is flaky. Um, DeSantis, Naomi, was it Nomi, whatever her name is up in South Dakota or something. She's flaky. She's a regime, she's a regime, uh, governor, but the people are going to have to demand change and you don't do that at the ballot box. The ballot box, they proved in 2020, ballot box doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, I mean, what I'm waiting for this year is I'm waiting for the elections because anybody who knows their history knows that the Republicans are going to sweep the elections this year. Take back the house Senate. It's going to be a bloodbath for the, for the Democrats or is it? They stole the election in 2020. What makes you think any election from here on out is going to be legitimate that i that reminds me of a recent episode you had you interviewed peter brimlow and what's the the verbiage for what the democrats are trying to do and tucker carlson has gotten so much shit for even discussing um, it all great great replacement yeah can you do a summary what is the great replacement and is it just a right-wing racist conspiracy theory or what is it well, I mean, how can it be a right-wing racist conspiracy theory when the very far-left um, Southern Poverty Law Center has people working for them who go over the data and celebrate the data about how countries are becoming less white and that the United States is becoming less white? Basically, the whole Great Replacement thing is that there, there are people on the left 
and on the right that want the borders open so that cheap labor can can flood over, but also that it will change the demographics so that right right wing thought will finally be destroyed. I mean, think about it. If Texas goes blue, if Texas goes Democrat, you're never going to have another Republican president again. I mean, game over. The only hope you have then is secession. But the, the more important thing is, is there are people out there. Um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name now. I want to say it's Tim Stein, but I'm probably slandering a Tim Stein somewhere who works at McDonald's. Um, that said in 2010 that Western countries need to become, the white people in Western countries need, need to be defeated. They need to be marginalized. That we need, their population needs to be put into a minority. And it's because of, I don't know what it's because of. You know, some people say well, historic racism, colonialism, payback for all of that and everything. I think it's just because these people hate and they like chaos and nothing breeds chaos more than flooding a country that flooding a country to the point where you have culture clashes everywhere. I mean, we see that now in certain areas, just clashes of culture. We see that not all cultures are equal. I mean, that's pretty obvious. And yeah, so it just seems like they, there are certain forces and a lot of them are in power who want to break down borders and allow people to come here who they think will vote with them, will be on their side. And that seems to be in much of the rhetoric against that they are very much against white people. So, I mean, calling the great replacement a right-wing conspiracy theory when MSNBC and CNN talk about it, they just talk, describe it, celebrate it, celebrate the fact that the country is becoming less white, but they don't use the term great replacement. So I guess that's why they're not talking about the great replacement because they're not using that white nationalist right-wing far-right term. What do you think of someone like, I assume you're familiar with Jared Taylor. Um, mm-hmm. what, what are your thoughts on someone like Jared Taylor? I mean, Jared Taylor doesn't bother me. He's, I think Jared Taylor is, when it comes to people in that sphere, is actually very milk toast. I mean, he talks about, he talks about the difference between black crime and white crime. And, um, but he, he like, doesn't mention like, um, he doesn't mention Jews or anything like that. He's, I, I don't, I don't know that Jared Taylor is like the boogeyman that everybody, everybody makes him out to be. He, um, yeah, he says some stuff that obviously in this culture, in this, in, in a leftist culture that has been, you know, constructed is going to be seen as you know, offensive. But it's only offensive because Look, you know, who dominates the culture and who controls the, the, the conversation. You know, saying that black people have, saying that black people on the whole and who are only 13% of the population um, 
per capita commit way more violent crime than white people is just quoting the FBI. Now, maybe the FBI is racist. I don't know. But, you know, they weren't racist when they were investigating Trump, were they? No. I I have found some of his interviews very interesting. I forget who it was. Uh, uh, um, an Arabic... He that college, that college professor... A New York college professor he interviewed very recently. That was a very, or an, he was a high school teacher, then he became a college professor. That was a very interesting interview. And he does, I like when he does interviews. When he does his, he has episodes where he just like goes over crime statistics and talks about certain crimes and everything like that. Those just bore me. I mean, I can, I can search those on the internet. But, you know, his interviews seem to be, um, seem to be good. And I also think he has one thing that people on, you know, on that side um, have a fit in a, not an affinity for, but they study like the historic left more than a lot of right wingers do. So, you know, you can tune into his show and they'll be talking about like, um, you know, he'll like talk about Chomsky or something like that and do an expose on Chomsky where a lot of right wingers are just dismiss Chomsky. and say, like, Oh, we're not going to talk about that guy. It's like, well, that's inspired a lot of good thought in the last 70 years. Maybe you want to, yeah, maybe you want to know what he has to say. Sure. And as far as I know, I don't think Jared Taylor has ever actually advocated anything violent or anything like that. No, I mean, he knows that that's against, uh, you know, he knows that that's just going to be counterproductive. And they want, the left wants people to get violent. The problem is, is they're going to, in the way they're pushing it, it's going to get to the point where it's not going to be a, a grassroots there won't be grassroots violence. Leadership, elected leadership is going to rise up that may start advocating for that. That's what history shows us. History shows us that if there is going to be violence and the viol- and it's going to be violence to be contended with, American Revolution, there's going to have to be some organization around it. And that's what they're pushing. That's the direction they're pushing. They're definitely pushing in the direction of, you know, um, a right-wing Caesar, a right-wing strongman, a right-wing great man rising up and to crush the institutions that the left has been, you know, spent a hundred years taking over. That would be academia, media, government, at least the form of the form of the government that we have now. Do you vote? I haven't voted since 2008. So, so I, I can complain all I want. Anyone who votes doesn't get, doesn't get a chance to complain. If you vote, you got what you asked for. That's kind of the opposite of the general uh, take on that. That's because, that's because right-wingers are fucking morons. Okay. Most right-wingers are fucking morons who have been, who have been indoctrinated with, with leftist bullshit. When they say that, they're just trumpeting shit from the left. You know, I mean, there's, I'm not saying don't vote. I don't care if you vote or not. I mean, the 2020 shows it doesn't even really make a difference. But if you're put, if you want to vote and you think it's going to, if you think it's going to change things, I mean, you're, you don't know your history. I mean, if it's going to change things for the better, I mean, has the country in the last 250 years gotten better or gotten worse? It's demonstrably, I mean, empirically, it's gotten worse. It's just gone straight downhill. The 20th century was the worst century in the history of mankind. 
more people murdered by their own governments than the last than the previous 20th 20 centuries combined. No, 20th century was a mistake. I don't care that you got air conditioning. I don't care that you got refrigeration. The 20th century was just bankrupt when it comes to real morality, metaphysics, philosophy. It's just bankrupt. You can't have two world wars that kill what? Almost 100, 100 million people? And then Mao kills how many people in his own country? And then Pol Pot killing people who have glasses just because he thinks they're academics, although that's in hindsight. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, everything's gotten worse. Just because I'm sitting here in a, you know, in a, in a large house with air conditioning um, while it's 90 degrees outside and I'm not suffering, doesn't mean that the world is not fundamentally worse than it was in 1900. I mean, think about it. If you could live in 1900, but have today's technology, or you could, or you live now with the technology of 1900, what would you choose? Wow. That's a definitely a case to be I made for, for back then with today's technology. Yeah, exactly. Why? Because, People weren't running around fucking killing themselves in the street. There weren't riots. There weren't, you know, I mean, there was that stupid war that Lincoln started, you know, that killed you know, how many hundreds of thousands of Americans. But when it comes down to it, there weren't people running around saying, oh, your, your son's playing, your, your son's playing with dolls. We need to chop off his dick and, and start pumping him with hormone blockers. What? I'm sorry. Uh, we just dug a hole over there. Do you want to go in it? I mean, literally. What the fuck? Why do people? Why are people putting up with this? I, I don't get it. Um, the general consensus of Abraham Lincoln in the educational system in the United States glorifies him and tries to make it sound like he's one of, if not the greatest president of all time. I know we. You could go on and on for this. I'm sure into multiple episodes. But what is your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, the United States was founded by secession. They're British colonies. And they said, sorry, we're making our own country. Then they fought a war. And people glorify that. They love it. Talk about the colonists and the three percenters and the Minutemen and you know, Paul Revere's ride and all this stuff. It's just glorified. Okay, so, you know, less than 100 years later, a few states are like, yeah, you know, we're not going to pay 85% taxes on goods, you know, sending goods to the North anymore, which is forbidden by the, by the Interstate Commerce Clause anyway. Um, yeah, so, and, you know, we have this slavery thing and it works for us and screw you, we're leaving. Okay, so if you just 90 years before fought a war saying that you do not have to be in political ties, forced political ties to anyone, why did a war have to be fought for that? I mean, they, the South 
offered to pay all their taxes. They had the South. I mean, then everybody's like, oh, the South, the South fired first at Fort Sumter. No, actually go back and look. The North fired first in, in, um, in Charleston. Okay. This is bullshit. It's revision, revisionist history. And when you read what actually happened at Sumter, you're like, oh, well, that, that's not what I, I read in, in school. There seems to be some embellishment here. There's no reason for the war. We could be two countries. Wouldn't matter. If this country split 25, 25, 25 states, 25 states right now, there would be no difference. China wouldn't. I mean, who is, who is feeding the right wing these lines that China would march in? China's having their own internal friggin' cultural revolution right now. What are they going to march in with? I mean, they're going to march. Who, who's feeding this to people? Who is, who's giving them these talking points? I mean, do you want liberty or not? Secession would be the, if Texas seceded right now, I'd move to Texas tomorrow. I mean, it's, you think Texas is going to get taken over by China? Who's teaching, who's telling you this? I mean, I like Steve Bannon. Maybe ask some questions about Steve Bannon ties to China and the fact that he lived on a, on a boat with a Chinese dissident for a year or two or two years. I mean, stop, stop with the bullshit. Was Russia going to, Russia going to come in now that everybody, now that half of the right is there with, you know, is believing the fake, what they were calling fake news two, two and a half years ago. Oh, Ukraine. Oh, oh my God. The people in Ukraine, Ukraine's the most corrupt country in the world. Hands down. Go read articles from six months ago about it. It's the most corrupt country in the world. They, uh, Ukrainian forces have killed 14,000 Russians in the Donbass region since the CIA coup in the Ukraine in 2014. If I was the president of Russia and 14,000 of my citizens are being killed and then the United States wants to bring NATO up to my doorstep, maybe I would mobilize some troops. Maybe I would invade a quote-unquote sovereign country. And all Ukraine is, has been for the last eight years has been a place where Americans such as Joe Biden, John Kerry, and um, Nancy Pelosi have sent their sons and grandsons and granddaughters to go get no-show jobs and siphon wealth out of that country. It's also the biggest. It's also the biggest country in the world, um, top country in the world for actual um, human trafficking. Women are constantly taken, kidnapped, taken out of there, and being sold into slavery around the world. But. TV told me that Ukraine uh, that Ukraine is the good guy and Zelensky is the good guy and bad Putin bad. I'm not saying Putin is the best guy in the world, but he is the one guy in the world who, in the last 20 years, defeated the oligarchs and is running his own country without elites telling him what to do. Maybe that's a reason why people don't. Maybe that's a reason why the left doesn't like Russia. And then all these people who were screaming fake news for four or five years are now believe the fake news. And let me tell you something. With the exception of Tucker Carlson, Fox News is fake news. It is 
friggin' horrible to try and watch anything on there that isn't Tucker Carlson. Even Kennedy? So, well, Kennedy's on Fox Business. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Most people don't watch Fox Business. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... I, 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 it is beyond me how the right in this country, and I'm talking about, and when I say that, I'm not even talking about politicians, I'm talking about citizens, I'm talking about the people have, could call everything out of the news, fake news for four, five, four or five years, say the election was stolen from them, said that January 6th was, is a crime, but then the same people tell them about poor Ukraine, and now they have Ukrainian flags on their profile pics on social media, you people fucking suck. You people, you're the worst. I mean, I know this is a trope, but read a goddamn book. And not a book that you're told to read in the freaking government schools. I am so, the right in this country, the, the, the people on the right are mostly, that I've ever met, small towns I've gone to, everywhere I live, are salt of the earth, people who would do anything for you, they would help you. You know, if you were in trouble, the kind of people who, you know, like the, the Cajun Navy who get together and go and save people when they're floods and stuff like that. But then they buy into this bullshit that they're sold on TV after they've been calling things the fake news, after people are trying to force a jab into their arm for two years and they're like, we're not going to take it. Oh, but no, no, I'm pro Ukraine. People make me fucking sick. Pete, I, I know I'm bouncing all around the place. That's kind of my interview style. Um, a couple weekends ago in Reno, Nevada, the Mises Caucus took over the Libertarian Party. I assume you don't have a, a you're not real vested in that entire storyline. But all things being equal, if you had to choose, the Mises Caucus is probably better than the uh, uh, former leadership, guys like Nicholas Sarwark and the more woke version of the, the Libertarian Party. What are your thoughts on the recent takeover? Well, I mean, uh, anytime people that I absolutely, I mean, I don't, there, there's nobody in the Mises Caucus that I hate. There's a couple people in there that constantly attack me, but that's just because they're, they succumb to cult-like activity. Um, but there's no one in there I hate, but I mean, the people who were previously running and I can't stand those people and to see them weep, you know, and gnash their teeth is you know, just delicious to me. Um, problem is, is, and I don't know what's going to happen. Okay. So first of all, I don't think the libertarian party has any power, no matter who's running it. So I, I think, the, I think the Mises caucus is a great organization when it's not, but the fact that they wanted to take over the Libertarian Party, that's where I had to part ways. The, um, the problem with taking over the Libertarian Party for the Mises Caucus, and it's yet to be seen, so I could be wrong, and I'm, damn, I hope I'm wrong, is you take, over the, you take over the party and you let those people stay around if they want to, you're insane. You purge the cancer. I mean, if you're if you're get if you're having a surgery to get rid of cancer, you don't tell them to leave a little in there. You get rid of those people. Whatever it takes, change rules, change bylaws, whatever you have to do. 
get rid of those people. You have to become gatekeepers now. You have to gatekeep the fuck out of that party. You don't want anybody in there who's talking about the woke shit. You don't want anybody in there who's pro poker, who's like, or even somebody who's like, I think people should take, I think people should take the jab, but not be, but it shouldn't be mandated. Nah, that's, that that's bullshit. You know, that's, that's just you trying to, trying to appease both sides. Fuck that. You get rid of everyone. You get rid of everyone who was against you. You get rid of everyone who called you a Nazi. You get rid of anyone who, um, and, and you, just do what you can to just make sure that these people, they never have. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are, I think a lot of the people who were in the Libertarian Party up until the Mises, Mises caucus takeover were people who would be in the Democrat Party, except that they knew that they couldn't be somebody in the Democrat Party. So they went to the Libertarian Party where it's small and they can, you know, you can be a big fish in a small pond. Make these people go back to the Democrat Party or the Green Party or whatever. Just fucking get rid of them. You don't leave people around who are your enemies. Now, I wouldn't want to be, what? why would I want to join a group or even take over a group that, that had people who in there who d- despised me unless when I decided to take over that group, I was going to purge them. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I think, you know, I don't really see that I, I see the Mises caucus is a very powerful force in um, motivating people and in raising money. I don't understand why they need the Libertarian Party at all. So I would have been happy with the Libertarian Party becoming a complete clown show of leftism because I think the, the, the term Libertarian is lost to, lost to history now anyway. So I don't really care about it. So Even if I did still consider, even when I can still consider myself a Libertarian, I didn't care about the. You know, I had abandoned the term by you know, the beginning of 2020. So that brings up an interesting um, conversation. I, I don't know how closely you have followed libertarian politics over the past year or so, but there's people like Larry Sharp or Spike Cohen, people who were present in the former um, national party. <clears throat> Maybe they weren't necessarily always as bad as Nicholas Sarwark or Joseph Bishop henchmen, guys like that, but they were around and they were a part of it. And then they are still around. So are you suggesting if you were in charge of the Mises caucus, you would even get out everyone who had ties to that old party, such as Larry Sharp or Spike Cohen? No, I mean, when that party had good people in it, you just have to get out the bad people. I mean, Larry Sharp is important to have around because Larry Sharp is really concentrating on actually how a libertarian can win an election. You know, that's important. If you're going to, if you're going to have a political party, you probably want to win some elections. And that's one of the things that he concentrates on. Spike Cohen is someone who can go on mainstream media and not sound like an idiot and sound very, very sane and put out and communicate very well, very basic kind of Liberty ideas. Yeah. I mean, I have no problem with people like that. It's the Sarwalks. It's the, like almost the whole libertarian national committee. Those people just have to be purged. Anybody who's, you know, who is, anybody who ever, you know, hashtag BLM or something like that. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you people, how libertarians are supposed to be the smartest people in the room and are supposed to be able to see through 
how deceptive and how um, corrupt things are, you know, embraced like Black Lives Matter because it's just, you know, it's a terrible, you know, terrible organization that's proven themselves to be a grift all along. All right. Well, well, Pete, I, I really appreciate your input on everything. Very um, insightful for my personal. Uh, this is kind of a selfish venture, the Kelly Patrick show. I I would have been identified as just a regular old Republican prior, prior to Corona. And I've taken a turn toward, I guess you could say, libertarianism. But through guys like yourself and also uh, even more recently, Mark Clare, um, I'm just t- trying to take a different look at things, not trying to necessarily put labels on anything, but I think it's very fascinating to hear the different sides of uh, this type of conversation. So I, r- I really do appreciate you coming on, Pete. Before we wrap things up, what type of plugs uh, would you like to, to mention before we wrap the episode up? Sure. Um, the Pete Quinones Show, you can find it on any podcatcher, still on iTunes and all the main ones. Um, I have a sub stack by any means necessary. That's M E M E S. It's peakingyanos.substack.com. And you look for me, look for me on Twitter. If you just put in the Peakingyanos show, you'll find me. And, um, yeah, just listen with an open mind and, um, see if you can learn something. I think that, um, one of the things I love about my show is that pretty much every episode I learned something. Great stuff. Well, Pete, once again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks a lot, Kelly. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.